0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the IFS Zooms In in which uh, I, Paul Johnson, Director of the IFS will be talking to my colleague Helen Miller about tax, about uh, how we might raise more from it whether we need to raise more from it and how we might need to reform the tax system if we're going to increase the amount we get from it at all substantially. We obviously are in a world now where the deficit is enormous, the biggest it has ever been outside of the last two world wars, and an economy that's probably going to be significantly smaller for some time to come, and demands on spending for health, social care, education, and much more besides, which are not going to go down. They're likely to go up. So that's why we're talking, and the Treasury appears to be talking, and the press is talking about the possible need for tax rises. First of all, Helen, perhaps it's worth talking about timing of this kind of stuff. There's been lots of chat about tax rises at the moment, but do you think they're likely to happen anytime soon? Or do you think they ought to happen anytime soon?
1: So I think they shouldn't happen anytime soon. I think most economists think that. And the economy is thankfully picking up a little bit, but it's still pretty weak compared to Uh, you know, what it it would have been like had we not had the coronavirus um, outbreak. And in fact, it's worth remembering, we still have some fiscal stimulus working its way in the system. So we have a VAT cut on accommodation and some types of food. We have a stamp duty holiday. So we still have policies that are trying to get the economy back up and running. And we know that taxes, even really well-designed taxes, do have dampening effects. They change work incentives, they change people's incentives to spend, for example, so I think while it makes sense to think about tax rises for all the reasons you've outlined, for the pressures to do with ageing, to fixing the public finances whole, I think this coming budget is not the time to start putting big tax rises in place. The government could, however, start setting out what those might look like in future. So start setting out how they're thinking about tax reforms and how they might run out, You know how they might put them in place in the medium run. So I think, yes, time to think about them. No, not time to have them in place this autumn.
0: Well, let, let's let's start that process of trying to think about them. I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think actually there's anyone serious who thinks that we need to be raising taxes next year. And um, It may well be that it's two or three or even more years before we're really confident that it's time to start raising taxes. But equally, I think it's extremely hard to imagine a world in which we're not raising taxes at some point in the not terribly distant future. I think some people, Helen, don't quite realise the extent to which we are dependent for revenues and we're looking at revenue raising here only on actually on just three taxes aren't we?
1: Yep so we get about two-thirds of our revenue from a combination of income tax, national insurance contributions which you can think of as just another form of income tax really and VAT. So there are big three workhorse taxes that bring in um, loads of the revenue and actually that's common across most countries. Most countries um, get most of the revenue from those big three taxes. Um, But what that means is if you're looking for easy ways to raise big sums, so you want to just fiddle with a a rate or two and get some some serious revenue coming in, then you basically have to be looking at one of those three taxes. Um, But I think a main message that I'd be trying to tell the Chancellor is try to avoid just doing the easy thing. You might have to do some easy things as well, but also look not just at fiddling with rates, but really look at the structure of taxes and see if we can... um, Know, find the political will to reform taxes in a way that makes them less damaging to, uh, to the economy.
0: And if we are looking at raising those taxes, I mean, you, you can get, if you're willing to, to raise them, you can get quite big sums, can't you? I mean, we're looking at, from memory, seven or eight billion pounds for every 1p you put on income tax or national insurance or, or VAC. And that, you know, a, f- a few pence there, and you're, you're talking really quite serious money.
1: Uh, You are. And that's going to be really attractive to to a Chancellor who wants to raise big sums without doing uh, too many changes. So they should definitely be changes that are on the cards. But again, just to give you an example, there are other ways to get big money. So just to pick one, and there are many you could pick. Within VAT, we have lots of zero rates and exemptions. In fact, we have many more than other European countries. We spend about £50 billion pounds a year on VAT, zero rates. So if we got rid of those zero rates, we could also raise £50 billion. Now, that's really big money. Now, of course, what people will point out rightly is that if you put up VAT on things like uh, food, children's clothing, books, that would hurt poor people. But those VAT exemptions are a really bad way to try to help poor people because they also help rich people. So if we got rid of all of them, we could raise something like £50 billion, give some of that money back for example, through the benefit system and target the helper who we want to help and still raise lots of money. So yes, of course, the big taxes, just filling with the rates gets you quite a lot of money. But there are other ways to get big money too, even within those three taxes.
0: We're not going to get elected, are we, Helen? Because I I, I agree with you on that. But um, starting to put uh, VAT on food and children's clothes is not the sort of thing that anyone's want, going to want to go into an election with. Uh, and indeed, we talk about putting up the rates of income tax and so on as easy, but no one has put up the main rates of income tax since I think about 1973. Um, so again, that's not terribly politically easy. Um, but one of the things that people do seem to think might be a good idea is to is to tax rich people, tax other people, people with lots and lots of income or, or wealth. Is, is that a, is, is that a route we can go down?
1: Uh, yes although I think maybe not in the way people imagine. So, of course, you have to get real about who the rich are. And if, if the rich are always defined as somebody else, that's a completely useless definition because you're always trying to tax somebody else. But, um, of course, there are people, there is a distribution of income and we can, we can target um, tax rises at, at the top end. I and mean, that's where one case where, really, the prize for doing reforms is really high. So, if we just put up the top rate of income, so the additional rate of income tax, the rate that kicks in at £150,000, we actually would raise very little and possibly nothing. Um, which is pretty unsatisfying if if you want to raise revenue. But part of the reason for that is that we currently have lower rates on dividends, capital gains, self-employment income, basically on capital income. So if you put up just labour income tax rates, you give people a bigger incentive to take their incomes in the form of capital incomes. So the kind of clever option is not just to shove up main rates of income tax, but to try to level the treatment across different types of income. So if I were the Chancellor, I'd be trying to look at rates of capital gains, rates of dividend taxes, uh, self-employment income, and um, putting up rates there. Now, that would that would obviously hurt some you know, white van men, and that would probably be what gets in the papers. But a lot of the types of income subject to those uh, capital gains, dividend treatment is high-end income. It's right at the top. At the top 1% take disproportionately large mm-hmm. amounts of income in the form of capital. So if you want to target the rich, you could do it through, through targeting those uh, types of income.
0: It's Worth talking a bit about that top one percent, isn't it? Because yeah, for all sorts of reasons, uh, first of all, we hear an awful lot about them on, on, on the news and in discussions about tax. Um, partly because they already pay an awful lot of tax. So, I think it's right that the top one percent of um, uh, top one percent of earners or top one percent of pe- people in the top one percent of the income distribution pay about 30 uh, percent of all. Income tax. So, despite the fact that those opportunities that you describe for avoidance exist, we are still actually remarkably dependent, certainly in the income tax system, on a very small number of very high income people. And then within that, um, there are huge differences between the top 1%, which broadly speaking starts around that 150,000 a year mark, and the top 0.1%, where we're talking about people with many hundreds of thousands of pounds a year. And uh, certainly for my taste, I think it's always rather important to get in people's minds what it is we mean by that, the rich, the top 1%, uh, and and how much they're currently paying.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And they are paying a lot. Although to pick up on one thing, as you mentioned, there's also just a huge difference within the top 1% or within the top 0.1% across different types of people. So if you're somebody in the top 1% who's just paying income tax, you've just got a regular job, then yeah, you're paying quite a lot of tax. If you're somebody who's taking their income in the form of dividends or capital gains, you are paying substantially lower rates, especially if you imagine a business owner who's running their own company, who can take their income in the form of capital gains and get access to a preferential rate that, that used to be called entrepreneur's relief. Um, then you're paying a 10% rate of capital gains. That's a lot lower than labour income tax rates. To give you a sense of, of what that means in, in sort of money terms, we looked at the HMRC tax records data, and we found that the of the average person who's getting entrepreneur's relief, this preferential rate of capital gains, is claiming about half a million pounds in gains. And if you compare that to what they would have been paying if they'd taken their income as dividends, which is still more likely taxed than labour income, but just comparing to dividends, that's a tax break of about £75,000. So even though overall as a group, the top 1% are, yes, paying uh, lots of revenue, there are still some individuals within that group who are getting pretty big tax breaks relative to if they paid uh, taxes as if, they, as if their incomes were labour incomes.
0: That is enough to make the blood boil of uh, anyone who's paying uh, income tax, uh, national insurance in the normal way. And it's one of those things, I think, which makes people extremely angry for a very good reason. Um, it's remarkable, though, that we've gone for years and years with this situation where people who take their income as you say as capital gains or as business income pay much less tax than people you know, the, you know people like you and me who earn our um, uh, earn our money from an employer uh wh- why have we ended up in that what sat- uh, at first sight looks like extraordinary and frankly outrageous position
1: i think it's because there's a there's a real perceived tension among you know, the whole policymaking community, including politicians and civil servants, about capital taxes. So on the one hand, most people recognise that it's unfair that some people just get lower tax rates because they can take their income in capital, in the forms of capital. And that's that sort of suggests you want higher rates. On the other hand, you have people worrying about investment and saving incentives and entrepreneurship and wanting lower rates on capital to encourage all of those things. And you see the capital gains tax rate in particular, but also other rates of capital taxes, going up and down over time as policymakers battle with this tension. So we put rates up for equality reasons, then we worry about savings incentives and investment incentives, so we put them down. Then we worry about equality and we put them up. And we're in this horrible mess of a situation. And the key, I think, is to step back and realise that it's not just the tax rates that matter, it's the tax base. So business, people who run their own businesses or get capital incomes can be different to you and me and to employees, but not different in a way that means they should get lower tax rates. They're different in a way that means the tax base should be different. So if they are putting their own money into a company or they're investing in whatever they're investing in, plant machinery or technology, then all of those are genuine business costs and they should be deductible um, and they're not all fully deductible at the moment, but But they should be. And if they were, that would be the way to make sure we got investments and savings incentives, right? So basically, we're currently trying to set the rate to achieve two different things, to achieve equality and fairness, and to achieve investment incentives. And we can't do both. So we should step back and say, let's set rates to deal with the fairness issue and make sure that a pound is taxed as a pound, regardless of how you earn it. And let's fix the tax base to make sure that we don't distort investment incentives. We can have our cake and eat it. We just need to to fix the tax base and stop fiddling with rates. Um, but until we realise that, we'll be in this horrible situation of, of using rates to try and achieve two goals and failing at both.
0: Well, you don't often hear an economist say that, that you can have your uh, you can have your cake and um, eat it. The way, the way you put it sounds um, terribly straightforward, that all we need to do is get the base right. But presumably there are some barriers to that, or, or is it just that the um, uh, politicians or... Uh, policymakers haven't um haven't been bright enough to 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 get it right so far it's always one of those things that slightly struggle with because the um the, the case for change here seems very obvious um it's not obvious that the political cost of change will be huge i mean clearly there'll be a lot of rich people making a fuss but um you might be able to get over that are there are there are there actually technical problems here or is this something that we really could do relatively straightforwardly
1: so I think there are, there are some kinks and some issues, but first order, no, we could do this. And in fact, the kinds of changes I'm suggesting are either ones that we've had in the past in the UK system, so for sure we can do them, or other countries run them. So it would be, you know, what I'm suggesting is pretty technical and we would get into the weeds and it would be a fairly large change in some cases. So it would be a bit unfamiliar and people wouldn't like that. But we could pull off a much better system than we're pulling off at the moment i think what holds it up is partly the unfamiliarity and people don't necessarily like change don't um you know necessarily like uh, having to deal with a new system it's also the reality that what i'm suggesting is effectively for those people running genuine businesses there'd be sort of two offsetting effects on the one hand you'd get a more generous treatment through the tax base that genuinely recognized your business costs but you'd face higher tax rates so there'd kind of be a give and a take for those people who are basically just getting labour income, they're not doing any investment, they're just, they're just working, then for them, this is just a straight tax rise. I think that's politically a much harder uh, sell. The other slight kink that some people might point out is that you know, we, we do care about uh, some forms of entrepreneurship. We think that there are you know, benefits to wider society if people try out new ideas and, and get creative and that we may not have enough of that. The market on its own may not produce enough of that. There is some truth in that. But what I'd argue is that we need much more targeted approaches there. Giving a blanket tax break to all forms of business income, regardless of how innovative it is, is horribly targeted. So, again, you know, the simple solution of align rates and adjust the base, you might want to do something else a little bit that was targeted at genuine entrepreneurship. But I still think we could do much better than our current system. In some ways, our current system is so bad that it would be hard not to do better.
0: Well, that's uh, that's certainly a call to a, a call to arms. It's so bad you couldn't uh, you, you you could fail to do better. Um, I think governments have proved time and again that unfortunately that's probably not true. <laughs> um, uh, I have to say one of the favourite things um, that the Treasury has ever done um, for me was in the last budget when it um, it effectively reduced the value of this thing that uh, we've been talking about entrepreneurs relief, which allowed. Uh, people to pay just 10% tax on gains of up to 10 million pounds. They replaced it with something called business asset disposal relief. Um, uh, In other words, bad relief, B-A-D, which I think gives you a very good indication of their thinking. Entrepreneurs' relief sounds very good, whereas bad relief really doesn't sound uh, quite so um, good.
1: Yeah, I agree. That was a highlight of policymaking for me too. And also that labelling matters because people, because it was called entrepreneurs' relief, people thought it must have been good. And I think just changing the labelling helps reframe um, reframe ideas in this. So I think that's definitely a, a good policy move.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it's great the things that um, make us economists happy. But, um, but 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 business asset dipo- disposal relief uh, made us made us very happy. Uh, was, um, so we've we, we, we've we've talked. Uh, I mean, I think the upshot of um, conversation so far is that um, there is money to be had. Um, from uh, people on high incomes but the answer isn't uh, to take the current tax system and increase the top rate of income tax It's to take the current tax system and fix it uh, so that we're actually getting tax from some very high income people who really aren't paying very much money uh, at the moment largely because a result of how they've arranged their affairs. Um, and another kind of tax which is um, often rather um, popular because it feels like no one's Paying it, or someone else is paying it. Is is corporate tax? And um, last election, the Labour Party was suggesting a big increase in corporation tax rates. And even it's even been fluted that that might be something the current governments um, thinking uh, about. Can, can, can we can we just put up corporation tax and get a bunch of money?
1: Uh, well, the straight answer is yes. We could put up corporation tax rates, and we would raise money. So the idea that cuts to corporation tax pays for themselves, I don't think is right. I think we put up corporation tax. <laughs> We could raise money, um, but that isn't the answer to all of our uh, all of our problems. So, I think if we just put up the corporation tax a bit, so you know three four percentage points maybe, you'd be looking at something a bit over ten billion in the medium run. In the short run, you won't get that because companies aren't making many profits at the moment, and they will have big losses they need to carry forward for many years. So, corporate tax won't be a big revenue raiser for a while, I suspect. But yes, we could raise revenue. Um, but I don't think we should be thinking we can raise sort of 40, 50 billion from corporation tax because what we have to keep an eye on is as you put up rates, the UK becomes a less attractive location. And what you don't want to do is have a situation where you have companies not wanting to put investment and jobs here because that's bad for the UK. So, yes, we can put it up, but, you know, at the margins, not um, not big increases. I think it's also worth highlighting when people want to put up corporation tax, I don't think they have in mind that they want to tax. You know, high street companies a bit more, maybe they do, but what they really have in mind, I think, is the big multinational avoidance stories that you hear all over the newspapers. It's the big tech companies that aren't paying um, lots of money. The problem with that is that there isn't an easy fix there because what's happening is not simply that we have some holes in the system and that the UK government isn't bothering to plug them, it's that we have a system that kind of its fundamental design um, is was set up in the 1920s. And it's set up in such a way that it just isn't well geared to taxing these kinds of multinationals. So small fixes aren't going to change those big multinational avoidance problems. If you want to go after that, you'd need to do something I mean, really massive. And I don't think anyone has the appetite for that at the moment, sadly.
0: And of course, um, fixing things for multinationals requires a large number of countries to agree um, on change. And we're seeing that that's really very difficult in all sorts of circumstances, um, Uh, At the moment, and I presume the consequence of that is that we will uh, continue to build on this enormous edifice of complicated rules which are trying to uh, elicit tax from big companies uh, when that tax is based on, as you say, rules made in the 1920s, and you just end up with this extraordinary and hideous complexity and a world in which uh, you really aren't always getting the money. You want. I mean, is it fair to say that we're in a better place than we were a decade ago? Um, are we are, are we managing to clamp down? My sense is we're managing to clamp down on this avoidance rather better than we were maybe 10-15 years ago.
1: So, yes, I think we are. So I think some of the most egregious structures where companies were doing things that were you know highly artificial um, ways of getting money offshore, I think we have stopped a lot of that. And there have been efforts across the OECD to um, basically stop cases where companies are taking advantage of the fact that different countries treat certain activities differently. So basically plug the gaps between systems. We have done more of that. Um, but all of that has, I think, been marginal relative to the size of the kind of problem. If you think the problem is the fact that the fundamental system isn't working the, the way people would like it to work. And you're right that what's happening at the moment is there are huge efforts at the OECD and in individual countries to sort of put sticking plasters on this um on this system and fiddle around for example with how we tax tax digital activities and shift around little profits across countries but when you look at the revenue sums of the schemes like the digital services tax um or the uh, diverted profits tax i mean the diverted profits tax brought in about 400 million that's tiny compared to either the scale of uh, multinational's activities or the scale of uk revenue so we really are talking about small issues round the edge um that aren't really going to move move the dial. And as you said, partly it's because countries are struggling to coordinate on something big, because if you had a big change, there'd be winners and they would love it and there'd be losers and they would hate it and not go for it. So when we're talking about moving where profits are taxed from one country to another country, that is hard. I mean the UK, if it wanted to, could be really bold and go it alone and say, we are going to completely change how we do corporation tax and sort of go our own way with this. And there are, you know, some ideas out there for how to do that. Um but that would be a pretty big, bold uh, move. And there are plenty of ways it could do it that would be worse than what we currently have. So we'd have to be careful that we did it in a way that didn't make life more difficult.
0: It sounds like your advice to the Chancellor would be that that's courageous, Minister, um, uh, in, the, uh, in, in the words of yes, Minister. In other words, uh, maybe a little too risky. So that's not very, um, that's not very cheerful. We've got some answers to the uh, we we think some answers to how to get more money from high earners as a result of changing the tax base and sorting out the way we tax capital, but we're struggling uh, with the multinationals because of the international nature of it. What, what about the, the the other thing that is um, something of a, 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 a something people are talking about quite a lot at the moment, which is the idea of um, the idea of a wealth tax. Now we've heard quite a lot about this idea. I think some of it's pretty. Odd, the idea that a one-off wealth tax can in any way help with an ongoing deficit is clearly um, strange. Uh, but it's also, in my mind, always, often very difficult to know what people mean by a wealth tax. When I think of a wealth tax, I obviously think of people much richer than me who have got you know millions or tens of millions or hundreds or millions or, or, or billions. Uh, but I think sometimes people are talking about um, you know taxing rather rather smaller amounts of, of wealth. And of course, we know that wealth is enormously unequally distributed. We do have um, uh, you know a few billionaires knocking around out there. And the Sunday Times Rich List is full of people with hundreds of millions um, of pounds. Can't we get some of their money? I mean, it's all, it does feel quite attractive taking you know a bit of money from people who've got that amount.
1: Yeah, so I think you're right. One of the problems with the wealth tax debate is that everyone means something slightly different by a wealth tax. So I think if we just start by saying, what we're going to talk about is a tax on the stock of wealth. So not taxes on capital gains or flows from wealth, which I think we should also sort out. But if we just take the idea of a tax on the stock of um, wealth, I think that's an idea that in principle sounds pretty attractive, but perhaps sounds less attractive when you dig into what it means. So again, if you just take all of wealth, I think it's what you're alluding to, most wealth in the UK is in housing and pensions. Now we could add up all wealth, including housing and pensions, and put an annual tax on it. So every year you pay 2% of your wealth. Most people like the idea of a wealth tax. Most people do not like the idea of taxing main homes and pensions. Therefore, if you exclude those assets, you have a situation where they become avoidance vehicles. So if you tax all wealth apart from housing and pensions, you could just put more wealth into housing and pensions. So having a wealth tax that excludes some assets isn't um, isn't ideal.
0: That's that's true for most of us. I mean, is that true for the... Um, I mean, certainly I don't have any wealth at all other than my house and my pension. But, I mean, if you're sort of talking about the, the rich list... Guys, can they? I mean, how much can you put into a, you know, an owner-occupied property and a pension?
1: Yep, so you're right. So if you're talking about a wealth tax, really just on the on the very very wealthy, defined somehow, then obviously other assets become more important. Other you know, financial assets or other physical assets, yachts and stuff, become more important. So we could think about a tax there. I think what's worth thinking about is what what we're trying to address. Obviously, governments always want to raise money, and this, this would be a tax that raises money. Um, it would be tax that would be administratively quite hard work because we currently don't have any measure of all this wealth. So we'd need to start by just going out and measuring all the wealth that people have. And again, even for the billionaires, you'd need to make sure you measured all of their wealth because, for example, if you only measured some forms of wealth, they could just choose to own, I don't know, yachts rather than villas or something. Um, and for the very rich, you have to think about the offshore issue and how they could move their money across countries because, again, some of these assets are very movable but even holding aside the administrative issue about how you actually run a wealth tax, then I think it is worth thinking about what you're trying to achieve. So if you're just looking at the wealth distribution as it currently stands and thinking, this is too unequal for my preference, then I think it is worth thinking about a one-off wealth tax um, as a way to level that playing field somehow. Um, The attraction of that is that from an economics point of view, it's efficient. So if it's credibly one-off and people just believe it's really a one-off tax, you'll never ever do it again, then it won't change people's behaviour in future, like their, how much they work, or where they invest or where they put their assets. They'll just have to pay the tax and they won't be able to escape it. So I think the one-off tax is attractive in that sense. Whether you want to do it just comes down to a sense of fairness and people differ in this. Do you think it's fair to take somebody who has all this wealth and say, I'm going to just tax away 10% of it, 20% of it or something? There's no right answer to that and people differ. Um, on an annual wealth tax, I think it's also worth noting that if what we're worried about is things like market power, so some people have um, very high earnings because they have um, access to sort of monopoly rights effectively, then a wealth tax is only going to tax incomes that are saved. So we'd still need to fix capital income taxes to make sure that we were capturing um, these really high incomes. So wealth tax isn't a solution uh, to that. And obviously it does discourage work and investment. So you know, I think if we had a wealth tax, it almost certainly only be supported if it was targeted at the very wealthy that wouldn't raise a huge sum countries that have had them before have never raised very much money from them it's, it's unlikely that it would raise even half a percent of gdp so doing it just to solve the revenue problem i think wouldn't wouldn't work um it would have to be some other reason like to do with fairness i suspect um so i think could we do it yes could we raise some money yes would it fix all our problems no is it worth it i'm not sure
0: I was, uh again not a not 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 a very happy perspective it's it is one of those things that a lot of us would you know again love to love to tax someone else so the the, the wealthy tend to be uh, the wealthy tend to be someone uh, tend to be someone else um uh, there's all sorts of other taxes that we could um uh, we could look at if we're thinking about raising um additional money um one of the one of the uh, just 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 coming on i suppose to the last of the things that we're told that um Treasury has been thinking about, which is taxing pensions, and in particular, um, taxing contributions that are put into pensions. At the moment, we often hear about this when Treasury is thinking about raising money. In broad terms, if you put money into a pension, you put it in tax-free, and then um, when you take it out, uh, it's taxed as you take it out, though you can get a quarter of what you take out as as a lump sum. Uh, but actually, the biggest tax, well, one of the biggest tax rises over the last decade— has been uh, a very big reduction in the value of that uh, tax-free uh, contributions, uh, because you can now put in a lot less, and if you're a high earner, you can actually put in very little, and that's raised um, you know, many billions uh, actually over the last um, over the last few years. Uh, is, is there scope to raise more from reducing tax relief on pension contributions?
1: Um, Yes. I think this is another example, though, where we think I think people should be thinking about um, a distinction between the structure of the tax, just how the tax operates, and then how generous the government wants to be in terms of subsidising pension savings. So taking the first of those, I think it makes a lot of sense that we basically give relief up front and we tax pensions in receipt. You basically don't want to tax money on the way in and on the way out because that would um, discourage work incentives. So just taxing at one end, I think, makes sense. So capping, scrapping relief altogether, I think, would be a bad move because then you'd be paying tax on the way in and on the way out.
0: Who would I put think, money into a pension then if you're just being double taxed? I mean, it would be the end of pensions, wouldn't it?
1: Yes. I mean, at that point, you might as well put it in nicer um, or another another savings vehicle. So that really, I think, would be the death of pensions. I think what's more often talked about is do you want to cap um, relief for higher-rate taxpayers? So there'll be there'll be higher-rate taxpayers who get higher-rate relief um, on the way in, and then are only basic rate taxpayers on the way out. I think there are, you know, people who disagree about that reasonably. People have different views on that. mean one one way to think about it is that it's just some sort of tax smoothing. That over your lifetime you might be a higher rate taxpayer in one point in time, but not necessarily over your whole lifetime. And this just allows you to smooth out your tax payments. Um, so I think there are different arguments there. But I think you know if we're gonna if you wanted to get more money out of pensions, then for my money, it would be better to look at things like. uh, lump sum tax-free. We could reduce how much is tax-free. Or other quirks like, I think if you die before 75, you can pass on your pension completely tax-free, which seems to be um, bizarre. So I think there are are ways to raise money through that system. But personally, I wouldn't go for reliefs first. I'd go for other bits of it.
0: Absolutely. There are some real absurdities in the way that pensions are are taxed, uh, not least the fact that um, uh, personal pensions are actually... uh, if you really want to avoid tax they're, they're effectively a very effective um, inheritance uh, mechanism uh, which is not what pensions are supposed to be at all. Uh, what you say about um, tax-free lump sum I think is very interesting and raises one of the I think the most difficult issues in taxation which is this idea of uh, so-called retrospection. So the uh, if you were to start from tomorrow Um, If you were to abolish from tomorrow uh, tax-free lump sums, I think you would have a lot of people saying, this is completely unfair, I saved my money in a pension expecting to get this tax-free lump sum, and now you have illegitimately um, taken it uh, uh, away from me. Uh, Of course, if you don't do it straight away, you only do it for new contributions, then you don't start getting significant money for decades um, to come. And people make similar arguments against wealth taxes and so on. I do, though, think that these arguments can be overblown. The fact that um, VAC went up in 2011 meant that you know, I might have been saving money intending to buy a fridge in 2011, and then I had to pay more. Equally, the fact that um, tax relief on pension contributions have gone down, I think arguably is a retrospective tax on people who were intending to save uh, in a pension um, uh, over the next um, over the next few years, uh, the last thing I think it 's worth saying on pensions is that of course, pensions in payment have been largely exempt from any tax um, increases it 's just the generation who are putting money into pensions who have seen these uh, tax rises so I think that introduces all sorts of um, unfairnesses uh, in the system uh, but we could uh, I think we could talk about the ethics of this uh, for Uh, for a very long time. So, Helen, um, in sum, uh, there is money to be had um, in the tax system, but it's not easy.
1: Yeah, so I think there is definitely money to be had, and there are definitely some easy things the government could do. So just put up main rates of uh, uh, the big three taxes, for example. But a much better thing to do would be to reform taxes. And the good thing about that is you can pick any tax and they all have room for improvement. And we don't just want to hear reform for reform's sake. What reform really means is that we could raise taxes in ways that was less damaging to the economy. So we could raise more money with less harm. That's a good thing to do even in normal times. But at a point in time where our economy is on its knees and we're trying to recover from you know this massive crisis, it seems particularly important to try to reform taxes in ways that we can um, get more money with less cost. So, yeah, pick any tax, reform it, um, and, of course, They haven't got to do it uh, all overnight. They could start putting in place, the government could start putting in place plans this autumn in the budget that says over the next four or five years, here's how we're going to take some um, meaty bits of tax, do some serious reforms, and be in a position in five years' time where, yes, we're raising more revenue, but we're raising more revenue from a better tax
0: system. Well, there you have it. We can make the tax system better. Uh, We can get some uh, people on higher incomes to pay more. Um, We can't very easily simply load it onto the wealthy uh, and big companies. Uh, We're probably all going to end up having to pay a bit more in the long run. But this uh, issue of tax uh, is going to run, run. I'm sure Helen and I and others will be talking about it on the IFS Zooms In and in much else that we do over the next months and years. But for now, uh, that is uh, the end of this episode. And if you did enjoy this episode, please hit subscribe and rate us. You can always stay on top of our latest work by visiting www.ifs.org.uk. Stay well, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon.